Welcome to Mending on the Fly, the podcast about healing, fly fishing, and conservation. I'm Devin, your guide as we float through engaging discussions, expert insights, and stories from the water. Whether you're a seasoned angler perfecting your fly tying, a beginner overwhelmed by rods, reels, lines, leaders, and tippet, or a person interested in protecting our waterways, join us on this journey of healing as we uncover the benefits of fly fishing and being outside. Ready to wade into the world of fly fishing? I will see you on the water. Thanks for joining me today. I learned a ton from talking with Allie Cunningham and am excited to take a more active role in the environment around me particularly when it comes to my local watersheds in Maryland. And I hope that this podcast can help you get involved as well. And as this is one of my first episodes, we did lose a little bit of audio at the end. So there is a, an abrupt cutoff kind of at the uh, hour mark. So I will work on recovering that and updating the episode. But we've got what we've got. We made it to the end, but uh, some of the extra information is still missing, but I'll, I'll work on that and get it to you soon. In today's episode, we explore the heart of conservation with Allie Cunningham, the director of Science on the Fly. Discover how the tranquil art of fly fishing is transforming into a powerful tool for environmental stewardship, blending the lines between angling and activism. Join us as we explore how every cast contributes to a greater cause safeguarding our planet's most precious resource, water. Today, I'm excited to introduce Allie Cunningham, the Director of Science on the Fly at the Woodwell Climate Research Center. Science on the Fly brings together anglers worldwide to participate in a citizen scientist program using their love of fly fishing to help conserve the environment. Previously, Allie founded Set It Down LLC, which encourages people to disconnect from their screens and connect to nature. Allie's work involves guiding fly fishing in Colorado and advocating for watershed health and policy changes. With a strong background in ecology and a heartfelt dedication to conservation, Allie represents the spirit of making a difference one cast at a time. I'm grateful that she's here with us today and excited to hear about Allie's journey and learn how she combines science, sport, and sustainability to protect our planet's waterways. Allie, welcome and thank you for being here. Thanks, Devin. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me and thanks for the for the yeah. info. Um, I'm glad you knew about Set It Down. <laughs> I don't talk about that yeah. these days. Yeah, that's <laughs> even though it still exists. No, I bet. I know you've like moved on. Yeah, I'm too yeah, it's pretty cool. Right. It, yeah, it seems like you've done a bunch to kind of get where you are. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and give us a little bit of your background and, and how you found fly fishing? Yeah, I'm Allie Cunningham. I'm, I just turned 31. So I feel like I've done a lot, but I feel like there's a lot more to do. And so I grew up on the East Coast. Right now I'm I'm based in Driggs, Idaho, but before that I was in Telluride, Colorado for about eight, nine years. And growing up in Massachusetts, I would frequent the ocean and sailing and all those activities. Um, I grew up west for my little ranch camp that I was fortunate to attend. 
And while at the ranch camp in Wyoming, I got into fly fishing. We were on a backpacking trip and my my instructor had a fly fishing setup and asked if I wanted to join. And I said, sure. And so I went out and we fished for about an hour, caught a bunch of trout. And then I was about 12 at the time. And I was like, thanks. Don't need to do this again. Uh, see you later. Like, I was like, this is fun. But, you know, honestly, didn't think much of it after I went back to high school and did all the high school age things. And then right. I went back out to the ranch camp when I was in college to work there for my summer job. And I was just a counselor one year and uh, same exact thing. My my co-lead on a backpacking trip brought his fly rod. I asked if I could borrow it. First cast, I caught a fish and I was like, oh yeah, I remember I like this and I was good at it. And then I just kind of ran with it from there. The next year I became yeah. the director of their fly fishing program. And oh my God, the tug, the tug is the drug. Yeah, yeah. And I very much <laughs> like didn't know much. Uh, I'm right. learning every day and I still am, which is the fun part of all of yep. this. I mean, aren't we all? Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah. And so I, in college, I was studying in at the University of Colorado in Boulder. I transferred a bunch, but I started and I ended there. And I ended with ecology and evolutionary biology as my major. I really like just getting my hands wet and my hands dirty for educational purposes. That's just how I learn. And I always find myself doing any bit of research near a water body. So after college, I didn't know what I was going to do. My friend and I decided to move to Telluride and I worked four jobs to get by. One of the jobs eventually led me to the fly shop. Um, and also at the same time, I was cleaning water and collecting water samples uh, coming from an old or coming from a mining restoration site. So, um, and what what waterway was that? It was on the San Miguel watershed, so the San Miguel River. The San Miguel, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the main river cool. that flows through Telluride, Colorado. Yeah, and that region okay. is just littered in abandoned mines um, and exploratory mining. Mm. So. We were at an old tailing site and a restoration project and just monitoring the water quality. But at the same time, I was working at the fly shop and selling fly rides to people. I tried guiding for a little bit and I realized I just did not like guiding. One, I had a super big dog that shed a lot. So the stress <laughs> of having to drive a client in my like dog bird car was just too much. That's hilarious. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I yeah, feel like, well, I feel like that's part of the fly fishing experience too, is like golden retrievers and, you know, yeah. hair everywhere. No, Yeah. The hair was extreme though. So yeah. And <laughs> I, I also realized I, so I came from a background working at the ranch camp of teaching kids how to fly fish. So they would be able to take the hobby and the sport with them themselves and create a future for themselves. So they're self-sufficient with it as well. So when we would go out, it'd be one instructor and I with about 15 kids. And we, the goal was, you know, we would not be the ones to ever have to untangle anything because they weren't tangling anymore by the end of the week or the end of the month. They could tie their own flies. They could tie on, tie on their own flies. They could cast efficiently. They could catch fish and release it all on themselves. So that was always awesome. really fun to see the progression throughout the entire time of their stay at camp for the month. 
And then when you go into the guiding side, it's just each day is going to be different based off of the client and what their goal is. And some of the goal is just to catch the largest fish and or the most amount of fish. And I just wanted to make sure people came away with a respect for the resource and also with the ability to do it on their own each day beyond that. So yeah. the fly shop also gives you a lot more job security for annual year-round uh, salary or not salary, but pay wage. And yeah. I love the the fly shop. They're my family. And so the way I got into science on the fly and where I am now was I was working at the fly shop and I was also doing the river water sampling work. And the water sampling work was actually not public. So I actually never got to see what the data said about the watershed I was trying to improve. I just collected it for someone and then they sent it to the lab. He got the data back. I never got access to it. It's totally fine. Mm. And this is all from was, the San Miguel. Yeah. And what I realized was, yeah, then like I was motivated um, by improving things. And if I, I just wasn't seeing it. And also uh, at the fly shop, I just, I wanted to make more of an impact going from guiding to wanting to teach. Okay. I want to be more impactful. And I just realized I am an impact based person. And so selling fly rods yeah. to people that really honestly don't want to listen to what me as a female had to offer as a product from the fly shop. I mean, I would get interrogated and interviewed basically every day I tried to sell a fly rod or even a fly. I'd get interviewed. Oh, you know, have you ever saltwater fished? Have you ever gone to this fishing place? How many blah, 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 blah. And, mm. you know, my colleagues who are male never actually got the interview side. Um, they could just sell it. Right. Um, but I remember this one phone yep. call with a client and they just, they just hounded me with questions on my experience. And yeah, it was just, it right. Just, it's after like, five years, I just you're a woman. It. So now you got to prove yourself. Yeah. And once, I mean, luckily the staff and right. my friends at that fly shop were amazing. And they would actually, one time someone came in the fly shop you see them look around you, look for the, the male staff member. And then I was like, I can help you. <laughs> and eventually I was able to tell them about the conditions of the San Miguel and what flies to use. I told them all of this, this beta. And then my colleague came out from the back room and the guy just goes and asks him the same exact question. And the, my, my friend oh. just goes, she just told you, she just told you everything. You weren't listening to her. So oh, you good. don't get to know. And, but that happens a lot. A lot of people don't understand that too, but I was also, I feel like I went down a tangent. I don't normally do, go down this tangent, <laughs> but I... No, that's okay. Uh, I mean, honestly, this is like an important tangent in fly fishing. You know, I mean, this sport is so traditionally white male. It, yeah, like, I, I think it's natural now. and important to talk about. Yeah. And, and it's like important to talk about the diversity and trying to like drive exposure to the sport to more communities like susan gates last week you know talking about women with breast cancer in urban and very rural areas like don't really have the exposure to breast cancer treatment and fly fishing and uh yeah. so yeah no i think it's super relevant yeah we don't talk about it enough and i've i'm starting to realize that the more events i go to for science on the fly if i mention something like this because there's another female there and we start connecting over stuff like this the men around us start listening and they're like i had no idea and we're just we just laugh we're like huh, yeah it yeah. happens all the time <laughs> but i wasn't aware of it until right. i came back out to wyoming to fish and some 
old white man just decided to mansplain to me how to fly fish after we had had such a successful morning. And he was telling us how terrible of a day it was for fly fishing. And so I'm just nodding my head, having a normal conversation like I had every day at the fly shop. And my best friend was just like, oh, how can you deal with this? Let's go. And she's like, how, how can you like, <laughs> speak to you like that? And you just like nod. And then she actually made me aware of how oblivious I was to being how how treated I was. And also it just made me be like, yeah, I want to go back into making more impact instead of talking about the same old thing. So Science on the Fly, we'll go back to that side. The way I got involved with Science on the Fly was, yeah. and we'll go into the creation of Science on the Fly, but uh, the fly shop I was working at, Telluride Angler, was the very first pilot fly shop for the, for the project. And okay. when they created the project, I wasn't a part of that creation process. But the second we started saying, oh, let's start doing a monitoring project, I was like, ding, I'll be, I'll be the volunteer to help, to help go collect that water sample once a month. It combined fly fishing and it combined conservation and the water sampling aspect that I was already doing into one cohesive project. So I was like, obviously, I want to get involved. And as I started collecting water samples for it, it just, I just got super excited by it, by it. And I was like, Dr. Holmes, who created it alongside Johnny Lacoque, like, how can I get more involved? How can we grow this thing? And yeah, so now I'm the director of the Science on the Fly project. And as you mentioned, it is a project of Woodwell Climate Research Center and Fish Pond. Um, yeah. So yeah, I went down so... a side tangent, but I brought us back. I, I apologize. No, I like it. Nice job. That's good. It, it, no, but it's all like perfectly relevant. I mean, it's important to talk about too, the, the, like the sport needs more diversity. And so, you know, I think it's great that you brought it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, (laughs) it, it, well, you know, like one of the interesting things is I live in Maryland and like, we've got some incredible rivers, like the gunpowder river, which is like just 20 minutes North of Baltimore. And it's like, Man, like so many people could get so much out of fly fishing, but you know, they might not be exposed to it. And so so I think it's I think it's a great topic and something that should be talked about. So I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, and a a lot of it too, they may not be exposed because it's intimidating. My being at the fly shop as a female, I was the person that all females that walked into that fly shop would walk towards. Even mm-hmm. for my partner, he has been a fl- an angler just as long as I have been, but he wants me to be the one talking in a fly shop because there's this weird vibe that comes off that sometimes like you don't want to ask too much of like a weird, a stupid question. Not all fly uh-huh. shops. It's just like this like secret intimidation once you're in this fly fishing industry. Yeah. If you don't know a lot of the community members, it is a little intimidating to just act like you you need help and ask for help and just in modern society it's hard for us to ask for help so going into a fly shop and asking oh yeah should buy it's pretty interesting so he I, I can talk the lingo in a more more of a flowy state because i worked at a fly shop for so long yeah but for ben he, he definitely feels a little intimidated whenever he goes into a fly shop just just to ask about what's happening in the the local region yeah that and like start getting into like 
the different weights and diameters of liters and tippets and what weight fly I should be using or what size for what weight line is like, you know, that always used to like, it's like, I don't really want to ask that yeah. to this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like no, it's true. It happens. Avid angler. Yeah. 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 So, so science on the fly started with Telluride angler. And you were collecting samples like once a month. And, and so is this from like the same spot in the river or is it you do in different spots? How does, how did that all work as the, you know, in the pilot? Yeah, that's a great question. So we established sampling locations and okay. I might quickly just back up and give a quick background on what science on flight is. Is that, is that? Yeah, works? please. Yeah, that'd be okay. great. Okay, great. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so what, can you tell me a little bit more about science on the fly? Yeah, of course. So science on the fly <laughs> is a community science project that partners with anglers all around the world. And these anglers collect water samples for us once a month, we then utilize those water sample. Well, we then analyze those water samples at our lab at Woodwell Climate Research Center in Massachusetts. And then we utilize that data to act on policies to better protect our watersheds. So we started in 2019, July of 2019. And the way this, the way this whole program got created was Dr. Max Holmes, who's now the CEO and president of Woodwell Climate Research Center. Before that, he was the deputy director of Woodwell Climate Research Center's Woodwell Water Project. He would go yeah. around all around the world to about 10 of the largest watersheds and for about a month each year and take water samples from them um, and monitor what was happening to them over the years. So to do that type of research, he's going to super far away regions. So he might be going to the Yena River. He might be going down to the Amazon, he's, he's going all around the world and it's super expensive to get there, super carbon heavy to get there. And then you're yeah. only taking a water sample for a month long of a year. So you're not getting a whole snapshot of what's happening throughout the entire system throughout the year. And he's also an angler. So he would always bring his flyer out and he was like, there must be a better way to get more people involved so you can get more consistent data at a fraction of the cost over more locations. And he, at the same time, had just met Johnny Lacoque, who is the founder of Fish Pond and co-owner of Fish Pond. And they were at a mountain film in Telluride, Colorado, and they're on a panel and they start talking and Max is like mesmerized by Johnny because he owns Fish Pond and in the fly fishing world, a lot of us yeah. love Fish Pond. And oh, so I mean, I've, I've got my Thunderbird. Yeah, I've got my <laughs> Thunderbird waste pack submersible. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All of it. And they started talking about it. And Johnny is a huge conservationist. And they walked into the fly shop, Telluride Angler. Max is really good friends with them. They We used to carry, or we do carry a bunch of fish pond stuff. So it's a good starting point. And they started talking about the problem they were trying to solve. Science on the fly was a solution. So in 2018, I started, once we started the program, I was working at the fly shop. I took it upon myself to be the sampler for the fly shop. And then, yeah, so what we would do back then, the first year we were fly shop model, we were very much reaching out to fly shops, asking them, hey, do you want a sample for us? What we realized though, is fly shops have a bunch of overhead. Once they have their super busy season, so in Telluride is the summer season, 
sampling can just get away from you. And we fully understand that. And we also realized, yeah. so in 20, 2019, it started, but in 2020, COVID hit, we were six months old. I just started really talking to Johnny and Max about how can we grow this thing. And all of a sudden we were all just homebound and we were on computers and some of our jobs just like, we don't know what to do. And we were able to find time with, a, with about eight of us to get together and really create what you see in front of you for Science on the Fly. So all of the, pro the protocols in place and the website, how our shipping, what we do for shipping, how everything's analyzed, all everything you see right now, we very much created back in 2020. And when we did that, we had an online signup form. That's and Devin, I think I saw yours come through the other day. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that that signs on the fly would be as effective today had COVID not happened? I think it would have taken us a longer time to establish it. We grew yeah. we grew very quickly in 2020. To the point that by end it's of great. 2020, we were saying, let's pause onboarding. So when we did that, we wow. had the online form that you could fill out. And all of a sudden, we saw individuals filling out the form saying they wanted to get involved. And our goal that year was to be in all 50 states. But I mean, it just like took off. So and what we realized, too, when we passed, started giving them and onboarding them for sampling. And I was doing that as a volunteer at the time because I was just so passionate about the project. I was like. Ooh, Max, can we onboard this person? And so I'm really fortunate that now it's my full-time job and I don't need four jobs to live in a mountain town. <laughs> but back then I was just a volunteer calling them and we'd onboard and we, we realized that the individual model is so much stronger than going through and asking the fly shops. Because if you reach out to us, knowing your capacity of wanting to get involved and wanting to give back to the environment, then you're going to be more more enthusiastic about going every, out every month and really take it upon yourself to get it done. Sure. There's a fly shop, like they have so much to do. They have overhead. So yeah. We just well, and there's like a, and it, there's it, like, it's like transient. It's like mm -hmm. some of them are college kids. Some of them are, yeah. you know, maybe like seasonal, whatever. They might just not be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, there's, we have every type of person involved in our project, which is awesome. And what we've realized through it uh, is that it's a free toolkit. Plants on the Fly is what we do. It's a free toolkit for the anglers to give back to their watersheds. And what I realized after this happened for me, but after I started collecting water samples and then getting my data back, I became such a bigger river steward and a bigger activist for my watershed. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't just an angler anymore. I looked so much deeper into it and how I can better improve what was around me and i've noticed that with almost all of our volunteers they'll start as an angler then all well, of a sudden like, they're creating river trash pickups and yeah they just yeah. get so involved and it gets really really exciting to see yeah well i mean it's like you know it just gives you this buy-in this like natural buy-in uh it's like if we're gonna help study this and you know at the same time learn about it i mean ask me about nitrate and ammonium you know and in, in my local rivers i'm not going to be able to tell you much but once i get my first sample bottle i'm i'm all in you know it's going to be cool and long term we hope to educate the community scientists and then they can educate others but yeah the short we have 
our main goal is to add to the data set of climate science on our watersheds and then utilize that data to act on policies. But short term, we have all this data. I mean, to, to know what is in the nutrient concentrations because of the climate, we can't just talk about that from a year's worth of data. We need a lot more data to back that up. Right. We need to be looking at trends. And so in the, the short term, we have all this data. Let's use it. It shouldn't just be stagnant and sitting there and not open to the public. All of our data is open to the public. We want you to utilize it. You can find it on our website. And yeah. when we see something eye-opening when we're looking at our at the concentrations, we're going to say, okay, can we dig in deeper with our data? Can we make an effective change now instead of in 20 years when we're looking at it to see what what the climate did to the watershed? So if we're seeing nitrate or phosphate super high near water near a waterway that one of our community scientists samples on we're going to reach out to our community scientists and be like hey do you know of any influences this might be coming Something from going on and all of a sudden they're more informed about what's happening we're more informed about the local area and then we can work together and with other um, organizations and community members to towards trying to find a solution or if it needs to be something on the policy side yeah, there's many different areas we can go to in terms of impact with our data. And I feel like this past year, since we're five years young, um, we're really just getting started, which is really fun. Yeah. Now, obviously, there was the pilot program, but I, like, were you guys able to get any sort of historical data on the data points that you were looking for? So like for San Miguel, for instance, like, you know, was there nitrate? And and all all the various chemicals that you're looking at, what, was there research beforehand that you were able to draw on? Yeah, that's a great question. So historical data, each location is going to be different. So regardless of it being part of the pilot sure. area, because San Miguel, I, I kept sampling up until I moved to Idaho. And now we've passed it off um, okay. to one of my friends there for sampling. But the biggest thing is we not we try not to be in duplication of anyone's research efforts. We try to be in collaboration. And a lot of people aren't actually looking at the same suite of nutrients we're looking at. So we're able to work in collaboration typically. There's been a one okay. or two instances where we're in full duplication. That's okay. Then we can just make sure our data is actually pretty similar. The integrity of it is good. But historical data, some locations will have it. Maybe not for all of the parameters we're looking at. You'll see nitrate a lot. You'll see yeah. phosphate a lot. You won't really see, you might not see dissolved organic carbon or silica all the time. So each location is going to be mm -hmm. different, but, and you might see some of the data, you know, start, stop, start, stop. Yeah. And the, the other thing yeah. too is just trying to find and consolidate all this data. There's a lot out there, not all of it's public. So even if I can do a bunch of deep dive into regions that we're sampling on, I might still miss some historical data I didn't know about, but. For the most part, when we start really doing the report writing for science on the slide, that's when we'll really dig into the historical side if we can find any. Yeah. Yeah. And and what sort of timeline are you guys looking at for that? Is that, I mean, is it 10 years, 20 years? Oh, we'll go back as far as we can for that. Yeah. yeah. To add to it. Um, and just keep updating for, for it. science on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that as we re write reports again, if we can utilize some old data we will but it's not our science on the fly will climate data so we also have to be careful the way we do our analysis is with super techie 
analyzers at our lab that basically, so if you take like a pH test strip, think of it that way, that changes the colors mm -hmm. of your watershed, but it's like that real time you dip it, it comes out a certain color, take that and like, just mm. put it into like this world-class, these world-class analyzers that use a bunch of systems to understand what a certain they color is. And then it plops out through a bunch of algebra the actual nutrient concentration that is there that's like my easiest way of explaining it and i'm not the phd chemist in this <laughs> nor am i and but that makes that's a nice vis visualization for me i and is that technology like pretty new is there any sort of i mean i think technology always you know holds us back to some degree we don't know what we don't know until something new is invented is there, are you guys kind of on the like cutting edge of this or are you guys, you know, waiting for new technology no, to come out? New technology is great. Um, we just got a new analyzer, but no, so we're, they're, we're not, these analyzers, many laboratories have them. The reason why a laboratory mm -hmm. might have one over the other is based off of goals that the research organization is doing but also the cost. Okay. So we wish we could analyze for metals and for PFAS and forever chemicals. Mm. But What's PFAS? We, so PFAS are basically a forever chemical. Think of it that way. They don't, it, it's basically, they do not degrade oh, like from plastics? the water system. Yeah, from plastics, from synthetics. So like your clothes that have like Gore-Tex on them, they might shed into the environment and you'll see it that way. So oh, interesting. Yeah. And I'm still very much learning about it, but I'm not in depth on it because we don't focus on the area. So we, there's other organizations that might just do the metals. So we're architects and we can complement each other with our data because they have the analyzer that can look at metal concentrations. We have the analyzer that can look at nutrient concentrations. Um, and so when we're looking at historical data, we want to know what kind of methods they were doing with the analysis. Like, was it the dip in the water strip kind of thing? Or was it the same type of analyzers we were using? Was it from one of our colleagues' research organizations? So when you switch like and pass off where you analyze your data, you also have to be kind of careful just to make sure things don't get skewed. Um, it's, it's good to keep your data all in like the same location. Or so I've learned. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been learning a lot for the data and the lab side of things and the, the, all of the, the background on the science side and learning a lot, which has been really fun. Yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds super cool. I'm, I'm like ready to put in a request. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely ready to start collecting samples. No problem there. Sure. But so five years old, what sort of, if you can share what sort of policy goals do you have right now based on the research you've done or you know what what do you plan on in the future it, I, I'm, in other words are you guys do you guys have certain areas certain watersheds that you're looking at that are of particular concern or is um, it still just very much in the collection phase both so collection phase analyzing phase so going back to tech like all the equipment we have sentinel fly was so yeah. successful the first couple of years and still we got a backlog of water samples because covid hit we were all at our houses the lab was closed so as water samples came in they just accumulated <laughs> in the freezer 
And we've just been playing a catch-up game oh. ever since. And our analyzer, we only had one, and we actually this week just got a new one. So the new okay. analyzers, according to Andy, who is basically our lab queen, lab manager, she does everything. She said it's just so much faster than the old analyzer. So we have high hopes for getting more data out. So we're very much in still analysis side. And then for the policy side, so analysis, and then I'll go to short-term, long-term, short-term, any eye-opening things we need to look at. So a lot of that's mm -hmm. going to be human influenced right now. So we're going to be looking at wastewater treatment facilities and their effluent compliances. We're going to be looking at agricultural areas, urbanization, stormwater runoff, all of that kind of thing is where short-term data is going to be looking at if there's anything eye-opening we can focus on. Long-term, again, it's going to be the climate side. Okay. And so I, so two things there. One is interestingly last summer here in Maryland, like a small Creek, it's called Beaver Creek. There was this big fish kill essentially at, at it, there was a huge deluge that happened overnight and a ton of rain fell real fast and all the fish died. People went the next day and there were fish floating, you know, bottoms up. And although the, I think, I think the Maryland Department of Environment, their report is like a little bit inconclusive, but there are theories out there that point to nearby roads and possible runoff of rubber chemicals or just stuff like that. And there's no retention pond or anything like that. So yeah, just is very interesting, very relevant, I think, in yeah. kind of the research that you're doing. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah. I think, uh, I mean, it, it is for falls the in line with the eye-opening. Yeah, it does. And yeah. a lot of it, so for the policy side for that, it's something where, okay, if we're seeing a lot of our data, we can bring that to Capitol Hill and start saying, these are sampling locations. The filthiest of all of them are the ones under wastewater treatment facilities. When looking hmm. at, say, wastewater treatment facilities, they've been out of compliance, X, Y, Z, or they haven't, or their limits are very, very off from what they potentially should be. And so hopefully we can utilize our data to help inform the policymakers on maybe pushing more money towards better infrastructure, infrastructure for wastewater treatment facilities. But can we add on to that, the climate side, make sure their new build-outs have a climate plan as storms intensify. So as these storms are intensifying, mm -hmm. all of a sudden so much water slushing down the system, wastewater treatment facilities are overcharged, a bunch of the stuff just and crap just isn't actually treated, it overflows out of their area into the watersheds. So can we utilize our data to help influence policies like that on the human side? But then, yeah, for like, can we help increase knowledge on the importance of having those buffer zones um, for, say, the the stormwater runoff. Right now, there's some talk about making new rules for basically meat and poultry effluents and where that waste goes. And so if we can use mm. our data to help indicate that different management practices can be beneficial for the environment and then also for potential climate resiliency down the road, that's going to be huge. But we're just getting started in that. Our first year uh, was this fall. We went to Capitol Hill to really meet senators. And the, a big part of Science on the Fly is just to communicate 
it's a communication vessel and we're able to bridge the gap between policymakers that might just not believe on some issues say about climate change but we all believe in if if they like to fly fish we all like to fly fish and when we like to fly fish we really need those healthy rivers and we love healthy rivers and all of us are really sick when we see a really terrible looking river we hate it and we want to protect it so if we can work together by talking about the sport we all love which is fly fishing and talk about it from that perspective it's not going to be an issue where we're able to just talk to more people and have an agreement between people about wanting to protect the health of our rivers rather than making it a super partisan issue it's not it's bipartisan we can all work together and i growing up was not into politics i followed it like around the time of elections and it was just a super controversial as you're forced to my family (laughs) yeah and it was was extremely controversial for my family so Mm -hmm. we'd rather just have a family and so to have a family we couldn't talk about politics (laughs) and it was just right well that um... (laughs) yeah so i never thought ever in my life i would be going into policy and right what are going to capitol hill (laughs) right exactly but what i realized i was so intimidated by it too going into capitol hill i was just i was sweating i was just like oh my gosh this is so scary and when you're passionate about something you're going to do everything you can to protect it and it is so easy to just go to capitol hill and start lobbying for the protection of that thing you want to that you love and sitting in the senator's offices and the congresswomen and congressmen's offices, it was so easy to sit there and connect with them to talk about our love for rivers and what we need to do better to protect it. So we all can utilize it later and down the road. So to, to think a fly fishing project that collects water samples can go into Capitol Hill, um, and then now I talk about wastewater treatment plants a lot. I feel like I never thought that would happen. And I'm really glad we're at this stage of science on the fly where we can start switching gears and making impact and joining the community, getting the community members together to start really making impact for raising awareness of what's happening on watersheds. Yeah. And it sounds just based on our conversation that wastewater treatment is a priority for science on the fly. Mm-hmm. For me. <laughs> it, or, okay, for you. Sorry. I don't want to speak for <laughs> the entire project. Yeah. <laughs> but can you explain, because I, I'm totally unfamiliar with it, but wastewater treatment, how does it actually work? And how does it work now? And how can we actually make it better? So the first thing for that is to look at the permitting system that is within each wastewater treatment facility. Um, each state's going to have different limits and different standards, mm. and it's very complicated. How do I how do I make it digestible? Um, so basically, all of our waste goes through a wastewater treatment facility, or how we or so we hope. Stormwater drainages, um, typically those are not getting treated. Um, but so yeah. say for a small, I'll think of these small little communities I've lived in. So. You have your small town, it it all gets pushed through the wastewater treatment facility. They're going to basically get get all of the waste out. They're going to zap it of any bad biological waste, anything that could potentially infect you or not infect you, but make you sick. Just 
air quotes make like it bacteria all that yeah yeah and then usually those wastewater treatment facilities will take the the solid that comes from the waste they might actually reuse it say on agricultural fields okay which you know i there's that's a whole different topic and then yeah. what is left and what's technically air quotes cleaned will be allowed to get discharged out of the wastewater treatment facility and where it gets discharged is straight into a river system so you have this clean river going through this tiny little town and then it has all this different nutrient concentrations and different chemistry upstream of the wastewater treatment facility when you start looking at the concentrations below wastewater treatment facility you might see like your nitrate vastly levels different going up yeah and it depends mm -hmm. on how close you are for sampling so if your watershed is large enough for dilution, which typically the permits are going to associate that, oh, it's going to get dilated in this larger river, so you're not going to notice it when you're taking, say, concentrations or, or water samples to look at concentrations. So the effluent or the discharge that's allowed to go into the, the stream, that's kind of the area where uh, it changes. All the permits are going to be different based off of the capacity of the facility of what's coming in, how large the river is it's going into. There's all these different factors. States have different regulations. And, and for these it. are these are state these are state permits, not federal. Yeah. So okay. each state's gonna be different. But a lot of our infrastructure, you know, we need to really and with the growth of what's happened in this country, wastewater treatment facilities, some of a lot of them or some of them are behind. But if you do look into a lot of mm -hmm. what the grant writing has been then and where it's getting allocated, it is towards building larger wastewater treatment facilities so we can clean up more of our crap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's for me, it's something just because we had our first, I'm going to air quote it again. I like air quotes. Sure. It was, it was kind of our first win revolved around a wastewater treatment facility and i like to say we helped okay. expose the issue we helped it was already exposed to some degree but through the power of the community scientists and the, the the local angling community as well as the power of a photo and social media hmm. and getting it on the mainstream channels of that local region that we so i like to help say we helped expose it now this wastewater treatment facility was discharging super out of their limits we happened to catch it we caught it with our data the locals had already known about it they were trying to push it forward but you know you're always going to get backlash when you have this company that's just they can just say oh we're not doing it or, or oh we paid the hundred dollar fine for polluting the river but all of a sudden mm. we took this photo it circulated that wastewater treatment facility got approved for a $21 million tertiary filtration system to, to improve the effluent and like what comes out of that wastewater treatment facility. That's and awesome. It's awesome. There's still a lot of work to do, but it's kind of the idea yeah. behind it. goes but back it, to science it, on the fly. it wouldn't have happened without uh, yeah, the data. It would have happened. It would have taken a lot longer for it to happen. Sure. And there's still a large fight, but it opened up, to mm. my eyes, the importance of looking at it in that area. Now, other organizations have known about this forever and ever and ever. We're, again, five years young. And so it's not like it's an easy place to go focus our attention on our wastewater treatment facilities. It's just a large issue that's showing up in a lot of our data. When we see data points off, it's going to be wastewater typically. So if we yeah. can help. With right, right. There's a whole host. There's a whole host yeah. of, of problems out there. Yeah. And 
we get to educate the the everyday angler about wastewater treatment facilities now and about climate resilience areas and about nutrients changing and why and how it's going to affect our trout populations and the fish population. So at the end of the day, especially after that, science on the fly, you really start realizing is it it's not just a community science project. It is a communication vessel on what's happening in these mm. watersheds for everyone to make it digestible too. Because I come at it from an entrepreneurial fly fishing girl did a like I did water sampling, but I didn't understand really what I was doing. And I work yeah. alongside PhD chemists and I we get to figure out together how to make this information digestible for the everyday angler to understand instead of being like, I have no idea what X, Y, and Z means when and when you're talking about that. Yeah. We all know what water temperature means and what can happen on a watershed due to that. We don't know mm -hmm we're all learning what nutrient concentrations do and and now we can start making it digestible for everyone. It's super interesting because I know my pretty much all-time favorite river to fish in Maryland is the Savage River up in western Maryland in Garrett County. Oh. And my my understanding is that for a long time there was uh, there were mines up there and mining runoff essentially destroyed the the trout population and the and the hatches and everything else. The ecological impact of that was drastic. And it's, since then, there were, I think the community pulled together. I, I don't know all the details, but long story short, they were able to, to essentially help the river recover. And now it's uh, a mainstay fly fishing location for Marylanders and, and folks from Pennsylvania. But Knowing that as an angler, as someone who just likes to go out on the river, that I could potentially have an impact or go collect data and make watershed observations. I mean, it's just it's empowering to to an angler and it gives me a second reason to just to go up there and, and go fishing. I think it's I think it's super cool. It's a win win. It's great. And that's why why I got super into the program in general back in 2019 yeah. i just felt so empowered giving back to my watershed i was like oh look at this 60 milliliter water sample it's now gonna like take a journey to massachusetts and we're gonna learn so much about this <laughs> river and but the other fun thing is i got to see the data on the backside, and i got to understand the data on the backside. and then over time we right. get to establish what we can do with the data and you're going to be a part of the process if you're part of our project from A through Z. I think the biggest downfall is we just can't accommodate for every angler to get involved for the actual sampling. Yeah. Because we need right. to stay sustainable. We're a tiny team for our project. It's myself, Andrea Norton, and Anya. And so I like to say we're small and mighty, but I can't manage more than 150 community scientists and each water sample costs a hundred dollars from A to Z. And most of that time is going to be in the wow. lab because it takes about a week just to analyze one water sample. We do it in batches of 60, but so we just need to make sure we're sustainable. So wow. when people would reach out about, I want to get involved, it's really hard to deny them, but we are starting to work together with an app to basically allow the folks that fly fish and utilize this app to add to the community science data set. So they might not be taking a water sample, but they can contribute to conservation mm -hmm. and research efforts by saying, 
it might prompt them saying, oh, do you have a thermometer? Can you take a water temperature reading? Send it, put it in here. What are some observations? Can you take a picture of your river for us upstream, downstream? What are the smells you smell? Anything off? What hatches do you see? And then all of a sudden we can just get a lot more data. So mm. signs on the fly, but it's also this app and we're able to just start collecting, collecting, collecting. And then we can start making yeah. potential, just more add to the data set of uh, for these rivers and how they're changing. And what is, is that app live or is that in development? Yeah. Yeah. So the app, um, it's the on water app and. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I can send you a link to it. Okay, yeah, I, I can include that in. Well, I I think on they had a booth. I went to the Virginia fly fishing convention a month ago, and I think they were down there as well. They had a booth, but yeah, I will. I'll include their link as well in anything that I publish. But so that's not live yet. We're still working it out, but um, it's really awesome because we've been trying to figure it out. And also, like, we always wanted to have an app just to upload our community scientist data. And building an app mm -hmm. is not cheap. And we didn't want to reinvent the <laughs> no. wheel. No. Yeah. yeah. So luckily, we were able to work together and we're able to add to these data sets, hopefully. We're, we're still in the testing stage, the building and testing stages. So it's kind of a look for it down the road after this podcast. Okay later <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> yeah it, it, just going back a going back a second i know you said you're obviously involved on capitol hill but there are so many state regulations and policies that pertain to agriculture waste management you name recycling you name it there's there are state there are things that the federal government is involved in and there's things that they aren't how much do you guys work with state governments and or, or is there a plan to work with state governments in the future? Obviously, like you just said, it's a it's a very small team, but with Woodwell, is that something you guys do? Signs on the fly itself is getting into that right now. So a lot of like, Okay. For what we do for policy right now, it's very much relationship building to be able to expand on collaborating for things down the road. Yeah. But for Woodwell Climate Research Center, they have a whole government affairs team. They are also are a small yet mighty team. But we have many projects within the larger Woodwell organization. So they work with each team to see what we can push through towards policy and working with state officials. So we have a really good relationship with Senator Markey in Massachusetts, working with a lot of our climate research initiatives. And then... Yeah, the Woodwell Climate, it's pretty fun learning all the policy things that they're doing with their work. And some of them I'm just like blown away by with what they are presenting to top officials about what what they've been able to Yeah, learn. Yeah, it, well, and that, that reminded me of another question I wanted to go back to, but I know that science on the fly is like international as well. And with mm -hmm. Dr. Holmes kind of starting internationally i imagine that data set is for the long term looking at overall climate but what sort of like plans for international expansion are there what sort of goals do you guys have max so quickly backing up to what max did before so he had actually if you think about their 
origin of science on the fly. It came long before this type of between the anglers and community science. Max would go around the world and he has research colleagues that would collect in all these different locations on a month. They're doing it for 20 years. They just had a 20 year report come out of their findings and they're oh, starting cool. to really okay. synthesize a lot more of their data. So that's a, they were in partnership with Woodwell that was called Arctic Grow. Um, I can, if I remember, I'll try to send you. Oh, I think I um, saw that on the Woodwell website. Papers. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's not, okay. it's not a fly project, but think of it as like, the original like the grandfather to this project and then yeah then there's also cape rivers observatory so focused more on cape cod and then we have science on the fly for science on the fly's expansion internationally we've so we still have the area where people reach out to us to onboard if we see it going international we do look into it we want to see if we can um a lot of it too though is we don't want to get ahead of ourselves we want to make sure we have all approvals so if from the indigenous communities yep. in those regions first, or from say, sure. the kingdom, like we want to make sure we're doing things right and legally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we're not just going to jump right, <laughs> right. in. Send us your um, water. Yeah. Yeah. And we also want to make sure we have a plan behind it. Here in the U.S., we can ship things overnight pretty easily. Our volunteers hold on to yeah. their water samples that they collect for six months, and then they overnight it to Woodwell Climate Research Center, and we pay for everything. And so, you know, we don't want to compromise a water sample coming from somewhere in the UK for overnight shipping, but it gets held up in customs for so long. So the strategy right now for going into more international locations is going to be through lodge partnerships. That's kind of where we're looking at right yeah. now. So we just started partnering. Yeah, I saw that the untamed. Un untamed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We just started partnering with Untamed last year. They they basically have these super remote fishing lodges all around the world, and they work alongside the indigenous communities in those regions. And a part of the profits they make goes towards in indigenous communities. And some of them, some of the locations, they already do have research going on, which is an, an even bigger bonus. So it might already be on biodiversity monitoring or a bunch of different things. But so we're going to, we go in the hosted trip with potential donors to want to support Science on the Fly. And also so we can talk about the project and the goal creation. And it's a really good way just to start going into these locations, establishing the sampling, getting the guide sampling, understanding why we're doing it, educating them. They can then continue to teach the, the clients that come throughout the season on what we're trying to do in that region and also just on the sampling mm -hmm. methods. And then hopefully those, those clients want to support untamed or the local region's resources to better protect it and also potentially want to support science on the fly. And so last year they went to Bolivia with untamed. This year we're doing an all women's trip to Brazil. So any of your listeners oh, cool. that want to do an all women's trip to Brazil to help us implement our research there, please reach out to me because I'll be hosting that with one of our lead scientists from Woodwell who does most of her research on the rivers around Brazil already. So she already is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to just conservation efforts and climate that, research in that, that region. That sounds so fun. 
I would love it. to go. <laughs> when are you guys going on that trip? That one's in August. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we're and so if people are listening and they want to get involved, understanding the backlog and understanding the logistical constraints that you're under at this point, what is the best way? How, how can listeners get involved and support? If they have an extra $25, we'd love your donations for support. Okay. But no, seriously, the biggest thing I want people to do is just start taking your own physical observations when you're out on the watershed and do anything you can to improve it. So pick up that piece of trash you see. It's really disturbing how much you go fishing with people and they just, they're like, oh yeah, I hate how much trash is on the ground. And they actually walk right by it and they don't pick it up. Just walk past it. Yeah. And every day, I mean, I feel like I don't fish anymore. I feel like I'm just collecting flies off of trees that people left. And so yeah. what, what people can do, you know, definitely reach out. We have an ongoing list of signups that people have or of where people have made a request. And I'm definitely not the fastest at responding to that because I need to hire someone to help me with that. <laughs> but <laughs> doing that, we actually I do a online audit every year and you can take this out if you want, because I know mm-hmm. I could go down a little tangent, but I do audit every year to see if, Hey, volunteers, do you still want to continue sampling or do you need to swap it off? And what I'll do then is go through mm. the database of who's reached out to see if there's anyone in that region that we can swap them with. So it's really good to have the info. I just can't guarantee that we're going to be able to onboard you right away. Hopefully we can down the road, but yeah. And then cool. once that on water app comes out, download it and start making your own observations and adding to the research and yeah whatever you can do just just be a advocate for your river and try to research a little bit more about your local ecosystems and how you can make them better that's what i would say yeah there's a lot that people can do beyond just taking water samples so and even like getting involved joining a local angling club i know here in Maryland, Antietam anglers or Antietam fly anglers, they work hard to to try to advocate for various water watersheds and waterways around the state. Yeah, super important just to get involved. Yeah, and share the knowledge. And you never know, we have the historical data. We have some of our volunteers have access to historical data of hatches. And we're trying to yeah. compile that so that we can now make a, a continuous recording on what hatches have been happening and how early, how late. So, you know, write that down, get a notebook, write it down <laughs> or use your phone, write yeah. observations. And, and then the next time you go fishing, you'll observe something even more, but keep learning as you're fly fishing. We're, we're, we should always be learning when we're out exploring outdoors and especially on the river. So, yeah. And so that does, I mean, bring up a good question. So when I'm out fishing, the big things are are water temperature, hatches, probably ambient temperature. And then I imagine you guys are able to tap into the USGS for discharge rates and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But is is wildlife the like hatches, is that one of the more yeah. important things you, you plan on looking at in the future? Yeah, down the road. We're on the chemistry side of things, so it's nice to have that data. Yeah, and then if we start working with the entomologists, then we can really right see if there's a correlation. 
Yeah, and we can give that to them, but I would love to hire those people and they can we can start talking about that more. Yeah. We're not we're not there. Um <laughs> and Yeah, but yeah, well, and I mean even it's, just the it's track, starting out yeah. five years. Yeah, and talk mm. about, you know, the 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 fish that you've caught, the size of them, talk about the smell, different smell. Mm. If I'm sometimes sampling, I get a it smells like a pool near me, and that's because wastewater treatment facility mm. was doing was basically doing their job and work make like trying to clean up their their water system but i could smell it um so maybe they were discharging it right interesting yeah oh yeah if you see the flood like how hot if it looks like there's a lot of one it might have been a lot of precipitation right ahead of time um is your is the Mm -hmm. flow higher or lower than normal is did it did it snow a bunch has it not snowed at all? And it normally does. Just, I always say, take what's ever in your head and put it onto your piece of paper. Put it down. Yeah. And that will help everyone at the end of the day. And hopefully that tool that On Water's creating will make it so you guys can easily just upload it. And we'll kind of, what's the word? We'll just, there'll be an outline of what we're trying to look for. And then you can look yeah. through it. And like even water clarity, there'll be like a, like a, it's clear. Hmm. It's not clear. It's the visibility is less right. than a foot. Like a little one feet. through 10. Yeah. So we're, we're developing that. It gives you another engaging way to, to just be out there. And yeah, I will definitely start doing that. So yeah, okay. I'm excited yeah. to go make some observations next time I'm out there and they'll be in my yeah, back I, pocket whenever you guys are ready for them. <laughs> I think that's great. And I'm glad that this is coming out so people can start utilizing it and giving back, even if they don't, they're not necessarily getting the water sampling kits that we're sending them. Yeah. It's, yeah. it'll be great. I'm really excited for it. It's, it's the solution to one of those problems I've been seeing within the immense amount of folks that want to participate. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that side of things. And yeah, there's so much we can all do together if we work together and make sure we share our, share our data and information and try to make impact together. Cool. For our, our final segment here, our closing thoughts, we call it the whip finish. Cool. Um, how can people get a hold of you guys? How, where can they find you on social media? And if you'd like to share any final thoughts, the floor is yours. Yeah. So science on the fly, it's science on the fly, science on the fly.org. And then Instagram is also signsonthefly.org and sign up for our newsletters. And we try to send that out monthly. Um, and if you do want to request a sample, feel free to fill out that, that form. Just don't expect an immediate response from me. <laughs> and, Allie is busy. <laughs> it's great. And yeah, yeah it's a good, good it, problem to have, but. Yeah, and we're we're starting to go to events. So if you ever um, see a booth, come say hi. We're super friendly. Um, and if you ever have questions about or a concern or you need help in figuring out how to build um, community activism or support, it's been really fun to learn. And I love sharing all that knowledge with everyone. So yeah, let's work together. Um, that's awesome. I love I love the name of that for the ending. The whip finish. That's great. 